So um, we're in Revelation chapter 7 today. So if you remember last week, we went through um, chapters 6, and then we jumped over into the first five verses of chapter 8. And, and so today, we're, we're jumping, am I on here? Is, is this on? Can you, can you hear me? No. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, let's see, it'll come on in just a second. But the problem with it is, if, it, if it's not on, I can talk really loud, just ask my kids. Um, but, uh, but the problem is, is the folks on the live stream, they can't hear it. They just see my lips moving and, and, and whatnot. And so anyway, we're in Revelation chapter 7 today. So if, if you come in and, and look, this is an interlude. So we, we were coming through with the four horsemen, the first six seals. Chapter 8 is going to hit the seventh seal and the final seal. And, and then as we come back in, we're jumping here now in chapter 7. We're going ahead of chapter 6 chronologically. So that maybe confused everybody in the room. But let's just say we're out of sorts here. Um, this scene right here, what John sees next is actually before the horsemen. So as we come in here and, and look at it, what we're going to see is we're going to get a look at that. And, and so as we come through the book, it's not always chronological, but it's, it's chronologically what, he is being, what is being revealed to him after piece after piece after piece. I think the best way I can put it is, have you ever had a conversation with someone where you stop and go, hold on a minute, let me go back? And, and you stop, and then you go back, and you give context coming in. So there's some context going in here, because this is, this is a great tribulation, or the great tribulation that, that is happening here. So we're coming into it. So the first thing looking in is that God holds back the winds of destruction from his people. And that's important for us today to know. God holds back destruction today for his people, for us, for us as we come to, uh, to serve him. In Revelation 7, 1 through 3, it says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So, the final judgment and utter destruction are not going to harm God's people. This is, this is where he's coming in. As we begin to look at this, as, as John sees this, as he sees this vision, the final judgment of God and the utter destruction of all things is not going to harm the church, the people of God. The angels are holding back the evil that we looked at in chapter 6. If you come back, if you remember in chapter 6, it starts off with the four horsemen, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the, the mottled horse, or the pukey, pukey yellow green horse. So as you come in and you look at those horses and what they brought, they brought other, utter destruction, conquest, the conqueror, 
is the first horse, remember? Um, the second horse is death. It's the sword. It's killing. The third one is famine for those left over. Scarcity. There's no food. There's nothing there. And then the, the final one is the sickness and the death that comes to the rest that's all there. And, and um, you know, we said a great example, if you want a modern example of this type of cycle, Look no further than Eastern Europe today. This is what's happening. You've got evil coming in. You've got a people that, that, are to be, that are fighting to not be conquered. There is someone in power wanting to conquer. Um, there's death that's taking place. There's scarcity. You're already seeing it, that, that there's scarcity of food, scarcity of, of uh, medicine, and so forth. And what's going to result from that is immense suffering. And, and so as we look at it, even though we're removed, there are many Christian people in Ukraine. We have people who have been members of our church who are serving as missionaries over in that part of the world. They were in Ukraine just a few weeks ago. They've evacuated out. But, but there are Christian people who will, who will go through all of this stuff and they will see it. And, and so as you would come in and look into the Word of God, you would find extreme comfort in the Word of God knowing that in all of this, he is sovereign and he is over all things. So the angels are holding back this evil and, and this interlude in chapter seven comes in and gives us a bigger picture of what's happening. And three things are gonna happen in the vision of this chapter. So we're gonna see three things. We're gonna see God's people, those who've been redeemed by the lamb are sealed and protected from losing their faith. We'll see that. Then we'll see the four horsemen of the first four seals, um, six, one through eight, bring calamity and destruction to the earth. And then following that is chapter seven, verses nine through 18, where we see the kingdom of God after the final judgment of the final three seals. So this interlude gives us context to all of this. So the unveiling is, it's not always chronological, but rather put in the order that it was shown to John. So regardless of the order, there's some things for us to remember. First thing, God, God protects us. He is protecting us and watching over us. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter put it this way, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the heart of God is for all people to come to him through Jesus. That's the heartbeat of God. That is what he wants and desires. And God having four angels hold back the four winds of the earth isn't him being disconnected from the persecution that's going on. It's not God stepping back and just saying, you know what? You guys have got yourself into this mess. Get yourself out of it. Um, suffer the consequences. Deal with it. That's not what it is. He's not disconnected from the persecution of his people. It's an opportunity for people to come to him. It's an opportunity for people to come to Christ, to be saved, to be forgiven and made new. Redemption and restoration, that's the storyline of the word of God. If you want to go from Genesis chapter 3, from the fall of man, all the way to Revelation twenty-two twenty-one, the storyline is this, redemption and restoration. God redeems fallen humanity and restores men and women, boys and girls, 
to a right relationship with him through Jesus. That's the opportunity. That's the offer. That's what the cross is about. That's the storyline of the Bible. And it's what Jesus makes possible for us on the cross. And it's a story that unfolds over centuries. It's not a story that unfolds overnight. It takes centuries. When we go back, we're, we're looking at in biblical history, we're, we're looking from Abraham on. We're talking 1,800 years from Abraham to Jesus. So as you come and you look at this, and it goes further back when you go back to um, Adam, Eve, Noah, and, and, and the folks before that. But it's a story that unfolds over a long period of time, and it's an encouraging story. It's a story that gives us hope. It's a story that gives us a look to the future. In Ezekiel 18, 23, God said, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? That, that's what God wants. He's not sitting up in heaven saying, You know what? I'm going to get them. They're going to get theirs. I mean, you've messed up, and you are going to pay the price. I am going to... Give them what they deserve. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that God is saying, I'm going to give them what they don't deserve. I'm going to give them grace and mercy. I'm going to redeem and restore them. I am coming and there is no one on the planet that is beyond my reach. There is no one who cannot come to me and receive my forgiveness and and the hope that I'm offering to them. So the winds... As you come in and coming back in here, he says, I see these four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. The picture is the is destruction. The winds are, are a picture of destruction coming upon the earth, and they're coming from every direction and every place. When you see that, um, the prophets, they, they start talking about the four corners of the earth or the four winds of the earth or something like that. They're saying in its totality, all of it, and they're holding back destruction until every single person that will come to him comes and is sealed. God is waiting until every single person who will turn to him does, and then this will take place. All these people will be sealed. So two things have to happen before the end comes. If, if you come in and read this first, every saint, every person who comes to know Christ is sealed. And the second thing is the number of martyrs has to be completed. In chapter 6, verse 11, remember last week, they, the, the, the people, the blood of those who died under the throne, they cry out and they say, how long, O Lord, till you avenge you know what's happened to us how long until you judge this world and he says not until the fullness of the number is reached all of those who will die for their faith not until that number is reached so that's as far as i'll go in trying to depict figure out you know when when exactly is the end i'm not going to do it from current events because every single generation has current events and honestly they're not much different than ours If you come in, you just see it go over and over and over again. The technology changes, the means change, but the heart of man has not changed. And so as we come in, these are two things that you see here. And it doesn't mean that we won't face hardship. It doesn't mean that we won't face persecution. That's not a part of this. What it means is that we will not be destroyed. We will not be destroyed. If uh, you come in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's talking about our relationship with Christ to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body 
the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So as we come, the question is, as as we come in and we begin to look at this, is, is how am I viewing life? How am I viewing the things going on around me? How do I view hardship or how do I view um, suffering? Do I see life through the lens of following in Jesus and that, that I have to follow him regardless of the cost? And, and that's the best option. The best option is always to follow him regardless of what it costs me. Um, remember, if, if we come in, you go, well, you know, I, you know, surely Jesus has come so that we can have a better life. That, what, define better. Better is a life of, of peace and comfort and strength, knowing who we belong to, knowing that he holds us, knowing that we will not be destroyed. You see, this book was written to believers of the first century. It was written to those seven churches. This is John. He's 2,000 years removed from us. 2,000 years ago, this is what God told John to write to these seven churches. And these seven churches in the first century, they were all facing severe persecution. They were all um, dealing with compromise, not all of them, but five of them were dealing with compromise in their faith, with idolatry, with um, being half-hearted. Two of them were, were all in and they were suffering for it, but they were all facing the question, will I compromise my faith or will I suffer intense persecution? That, that was their question. So we always have to come back to that every time we look at this. Why, why is he writing this? What is going on? What's happening with them? The second thing in verses 4 through 8, and <clears throat> this is probably everybody's burning question for the day. Um, I know in, in our small group, this was the question. Who are the 144,000? Um, who is this? And, um, <clears throat> but, but in that, as we look at this, it's talking about the seals. And, and the seals, what the seals tell us is that God's protection is permanent. God's protection is permanent. We could, we could spend weeks on this, but, but this is something that in, in chapter 7, 4, he says, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then he lists these 12 tribes, 12,000 uh, 12, from each. And we could go into that and we could, get, we could spend a lot of time there, but we're not going to do that today. Um, what we're going to look like, look at is what it means to be sealed. What does it mean to be sealed? I will talk about the 144,000, trust me. But what does it mean to be sealed? This is important. It's an important thing to know and to understand. And what it, what it ultimately, you boil it down to a simple thing, it means that we can't be taken away from him. We belong to him. We belong to Christ. It means we're authentic it means the Holy Spirit dwells within us. It's the picture of, of the seal in the ancient Near East. For John, this was something that, that was very, very vivid to him. If you go back 2,000 years in time, when a third of the population of the Roman Empire is a slave, those slaves were sealed. They were marked. They had a mark on their head that would show them to be belonging to someone else. And... <clears throat> What, 
what he sees next is the angel of the Lord sealing believers, sealing them, saying they belong to me. And, and so think about that. Just think about that for a minute. We belong to God. We're marked by him. If you have come into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've come to the point in your life where you have given your life to him, trusted in what he's done on the cross, believing that he died and rose again, and giving your life to him, what it says is is you belong to him. You don't belong to someone else. You belong to him. It means that we're marked by him. It means our character has been changed to reflect Jesus to the world around us. It means not only <clears throat> have I come into this, this relationship with Christ, it's, it's not something that I'm looking forward to down the road, but it's a present reality today. I'm marked by him, I belong to him, and I am living my life to please him. So our character's been changed so that it can reflect Jesus to the world around us. That who we are reflects him to the people around us. And so if you look at these 144,000, they're a part of all of those sealed. And when we come down to the next few verses, they really comprise the greater multitude. They, they comprise everyone. It's the church of the ages worshiping before the throne is what we see in the next few verses. So coming in here, we say that, that um, yes, we have the continuity of Israel going through. We have the church, and it is all here. This is the new Israel that we're going to see coming up. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him, in Christ, also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, <clears throat> we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession to, of it to the praise of his glory, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's the down payment. He is the earnest money. He is the one who marks us and makes us whole. That's the guarantee of our future. So <clears throat> there are a few things to look in that. Number one, when a person comes to know Christ and they're marked by him, they can never be taken away from him. Once we come into this, this ownership, when we have become a slave of Christ, we can't go back. You can't go back. And <clears throat> it's a promise and a guarantee of our future. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He says he has marked us with the Holy Spirit that the Spirit dwells within us, and He is a promise of what is to come. It means that when we become bondservants of Jesus, we're His property, and nobody can take us from Him. When you become a servant of Christ, nobody can take you from Him. In John 10, 28 through 29, Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So this forces us to view our obedience to Jesus in a whole new light. I mean, it just drives us to look at it. How, how does this affect who I am? <clears throat> am I obedient because I have to be? Do I read my Bible because I have to read my Bible? Do I pray because I 
have to pray? Do I have a certain code of conduct because I want to check the box? Or because it's my heart's desire? Because being sealed means our hearts have changed. It means our desires have changed. It means that we understand that we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to Him. And our sole duty is to please Him. And in pleasing Him, the next thing is, is that we receive great joy from it. Great fulfillment. Great hope. A great promise. Am I wholehearted to God? As, as we look at this and, and, and the ceiling, the question to ask myself, am I wholeheartedly, am I all in? Am I all in for God? When I come in and I sit down and I read the Word of God, am I reading it so that He can speak to me and change me and make me more like Him and help me to understand what my owner desires for me and, and by the way just just <clears throat> here's here are the two here are the two options that we face the only two options we face one is we will be a slave to God through Christ Jesus or we will be a slave to sin we will receive eternal joy and fulfillment in this life and the one to come or we will receive eternal condemnation it's either either one or the other. It's not a, a, a multitude or a cafeteria of picks. I mean, it's either death and destruction or life in abundance. Am I all in? Because he promises to hold me forever. He promises. So we can live that way. We can live faithful to the word of God, faithful to the promises of God. We can walk it out that way today in our lives. We can live it for people in our community to see. We can live in such a way that as, as what, what Dave was sharing earlier about vision, about who we are, we can live in such a way that when people look at us, they say, you know what? There's something there that I want. They have something in them that, that is unshakable. The way that they love each other really drives me to question what it is that's making it happen because I don't see that very often. That's the thing that's happening here. That's what when we understand that we have been sealed, that we are a part of a great multitude, not just just us here today at 44440 K Beach Road, But we're a part of a multitude, not just a multitude on the globe today, but a multitude from the beginning of the world to the end. Those who have come to a faith relationship with our God. And that's the promise. So we can trust him when we're confronted with difficult decisions 
and know that obedience leads to true fulfillment and eternal reward. We, we can know that. When we go back, you, you know, if, if you wonder, yeah, well, how does that work? Read those first seven churches. Go back and, and listen to that stuff and, and look at it. It's so clear and it's so there. And, and if we want to change the world, if we really want to change the world, if, our, if, if we want to change our community, let's just, let's just bring it down small. If we want to change our community, because to change our community is a heavy, heavy lift. If we want to change our community, it requires that we sacrifice our will to Jesus. That's where it starts. It will start there. It won't start with more money. It won't start with more programs. It won't start with more activity. It won't start with us having a, a advertising campaign. It won't start with an Easter service. It won't start with any of that. It will start when every single one of us get on our knees before God and pray to him and ask him to make us right, to make him our greatest desire. Otherwise, we look like everybody else. I don't want to look like everybody else. And I don't want to be angry at everybody else that doesn't believe like I believe. Because here's the thing. When you come in and you look, here, when God goes to send this angel to seal those who belong to him, he is a patient God. He is a long-suffering God. He is a God who gives everyone a chance to come to him. And, and you might be here today and you think, you know what? I, I mean, I, I know that God forgives sin, but you don't know what my sin is. You're right, I don't. I don't want to know what your sin is. Don't need to know what your sin is. If you're compelled to tell someone, that's your business. But here's the deal. Jesus covered sin on the cross. There is no one beyond his reach. There is no sin so great that he did not cover it when he shed his blood on the cross and died. We'll see it in the next few verses. But, but that's the thing. So, so this is the deal. Throughout the ages, the, the, the way that the church has grown, if, if you come back in, it's been through people who are just sold out to Jesus. You come into the first century when, when these people were just a small little bitty bunch. I mean, they were going against the grain. They were going far against the grain. I mean, they believed in the sanctity of life. When the Romans just killed their children because they didn't want them, after they were born, they didn't do it before. They just killed them, left them out on the street to die. Man, has, his, his wife has a child. You know, I really just don't want to deal with this. Put them away. They just put them out on the streets to die. That was normal. Their, their sexual ethics, oh my gosh. They would make us blush. They would make us blush. I mean, the common thing was we have... We have prostitutes for pleasure, concubines for companionship, and wives to produce children. 
How would you like to live in that world? It was all messed up. And, and that's where the world spins without Christ. And this is where we come in and, and, and we have this, this opportunity to live something out that's different to people who are looking for fulfillment in all different kinds of things to see, you know what, what is it about these people that makes them so loving, so secure? And that's what the seal, when we understand that we've been sealed, that's where it is. That's where it is. And the final thing, because I'm out of time, is in in verses 9 through 17. Jesus is the one who makes us whole. Jesus is the one who makes us whole. He makes us whole. In 9 through 17... He goes on, and uh, I'll get the right page here. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. And the sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So the final thing coming in is... We have this countless number of those worshiping around the throne made up of people from every tribe, tongue, nation. And that's the eternal reward for, per, for perseverance. That's the, that's the eternal reward that we receive for perseverance that's made possible through Jesus, through this seal that he's given to us that we see in the events of the first eight verses. That's when you see people making it through all of these persecutions, they're making it through because they belong to God because he has sealed us and made it possible. And, and you may wonder, you know what, what would I do? What would I do? if I was faced with intense persecution. And what Jesus said is, he said, I'm going to hold you, and I'm not going to let you go, and I'll walk with you through it. I'll be there. I will make it happen for you. And so we're sealed, and when we finish the race, the reward is beyond our comprehension. The reward is is being seen here of, of multitudes, countless multitudes of people. It's not just 144,000. 144,000 is a really big number. It's 12 times 12 times 1,000. You look at the numbers you got in here, it's 12 12s, which is total complete for the Jewish people. 
A thousand times it is, is the big number that they've got for their day. And, and here you get this big thing. And he's basically saying there's multitudes. There are multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people. And <clears throat> that's why Jesus says it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. When he comes down to it and we come down and we look, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What do I want to push as my goal? What do I want to see happen? Who are we as a people? What is it that really matters? Here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying in there in in 619 and 20, he's saying, look, focus on stuff that matters. Focus on the things that matter. Don't get caught up in, in, in the things of the day. Instead, what is it that matters? What can you invest in that really matters? Here's a practical thing. We invest in our families, right? We invest in our children. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about something far greater than that. We invest ourselves in them. We invest our very souls our very desires in them, our love, our time, our effort, our energy. We live a life that that we want them to emulate because my actions, that's what matter. Look, if I go back and I look family-wise, go, what did your dad do, this, that, or the other? I go, look, it was his consistency that affected me. It wasn't that he was perfect. It wasn't that he always made the right choice or everything else. It's because he consistently had a true north. And he cared about me. He cared enough to to discipline me when I was out of bounds. He cared enough to invest in me so that I could be successful. And he cared enough that he led spiritually in my home. As long as I can remember, he taught a boys' Sunday school class. He worked a full-time job. He taught that class. He took us to church. And it was my dad who took us, not my mom. My dad, not that my mom wouldn't, but it was my dad. That makes an impression. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Look, he he didn't invest all of his time and energy on adventure and stuff. He invested it in his family. And just one other thing while I'm there. He didn't let us suck the life out of him. When I say that, we had limits. We had limits in the activities they let us be involved in. And we had priorities. And our activities never overran our priorities. Look, you can have your kids in every activity 
that's going on, and you can let that suck the life out of you. And you can let it take you away from the worship of God, take away from the people of God, and you know what it'll give you at the end? Kids who don't see any need for God. That is harsh, and it's extremely true. There's no activity on God's green earth that's more important than worshiping Jesus. None. In your home, in your personal time with him, in your family together, or gathered together with God's people. Get your priorities together. Because Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Storm up in heaven. The next thing he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That just sums up what we just said. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What an interesting riddle. You know what he's saying? He's saying the way you view the world is going to change your world. If you're viewing the world through the lens of Jesus and through the lens of Scripture and through the things of God, your world is going to be on fire, alive, and bright. And if you're not, it's going to be just darker and darker and darker. And you're going to go down to places that you never dreamed possible. And then he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for he will either love the one and hate the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You can't serve God in stuff. You can't serve God in experiences. You can't serve God in anything else. You can serve God and serve God alone, and that's it. That's where it comes down. That's what it means to be sealed. That's what this thing is, and this is what God is calling us to. This is when he's talking to these people in these churches. He's saying, turn back, turn back, turn back. So the white robes that we look at here, they symbolize that we're made holy to God. The palm branches go back to the Feast of Booths, back during the time of Leviticus, the 40 years of wandering in the desert when God cared for Israel in the desert and, and the people of God were celebrating that and they would build little... Uh, shacks uh, uh, out of leaves and so forth to live in to commemorate that every year. Um, It was God providing for them, protecting them, washing our robes in the blood of the lamb is yielding our lives to Jesus and pursuing him and his kingdom. Um, Paul put it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I'll live by faith in the son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me in Galatians 2.20. And 6.17, Revelation 6.17, they said, who can stand? Who can stand? Who can stand to all of this stuff? And, and this answers the question. Jesus not only seals us and holds us, he also does for us what we can't do. He seals us, he holds us, and he does in us what we can't do. You see, tribulation is not something reserved for the future. Every generation faces tribulation. Tribulate, you say, oh, no, no, that's something's happened and we're not going to go through it. Look, Jesus went through the greatest tribulation ever. That is the great tribulation. The cross is the great tribulation. There will be no greater tribulation in the history of man than what God himself endured on the cross when he took on our sin and shame. None. Tribulation. 
Tribulation has been going on since Jesus came. The disciples faced it. They faced extreme persecution and tribulation, and they withstood it, and they stood, stood firm. The early church faced it. We're seeing it in this book. Christians have been facing it ever since. There are Christians on the planet right now today who are facing intense persecution for their faith, and they're standing strong in it. And this drives us to consider how we would respond, and it reveals what we truly believe. The other way of coming to it is those who go through this, it shows that they are real. They are refined through the trials. So this scene reveals what really matters. We have the privilege to stand before the throne of God in worship continually throughout all of eternity, all of our earthly suffering and sorrow taken away forever, forever. And the Lamb will be our shepherd to lead us into it all, Jesus himself. I mean, we just have to ask ourselves, what can we chase after that matches that? What is it that matches what God offers to us? What is it today in this world that's so great that it's greater than standing in the very presence of God Almighty? Being accepted by Him. Received by Him. And to bring it all in, we're really good. We're really good at planning. We are all good at planning. You know, I mean, some are better than others. But you know what? We'll make all kinds of sacrifices for the future, won't we? I mean, there are people who will, yeah, they'll, they'll get up an extra hour early and run and drink fruit juice. They'll sacrifice forever because they, you know, that, that's going to make me live longer. Or that'll get me up the mountain. Or whatever it might be. There are people who they will faithfully save. They will save and save and save. So that they can reach a future goal. There are people who will study and study and study. To reach a future goal. We're good at it. But the question is, what's our eternal plan? Not what's my this life plan, but am I viewing life in light of eternity, in light of who made me, in light of who came to redeem me, in light of the hope that he offers to me, that he offers to you, that he offers to all of us, and, and all of the people around us are just like us. And they might not look like us, they may not think like us, but when it comes down to the very essence of it all, they're human beings created in the image of God, separated from him by sin and guilt and shame. And you know what? Jesus paid it all. And he offers us life and hope and meaning. And he says, I will forgive their sins and I am patient, not wanting any to perish. And there is nothing in your life that is beyond the reach of Jesus. What do you want your life to mean? What do you want your life to mean today? What do we want our church to mean?
That's what Dave was talking about. He was saying, you know what? We know who we are. We know what the point is. But how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? And how are you going to get there in your own life? Have you thought about it? Have you looked at it? Have you planned it? Because the sands of time, they, they slowly go away. But eternity never ends. And that's what we're made for. We're made for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And we ask that you would work in our hearts and minds that you would draw us close to you Father that you would help us to see things as they truly are just as you showed John up in heaven as you gave him a glimpse of glory a glimpse of eternity a glimpse of what really is Father help us to see the world in that way Help us, Lord, not to get caught up in, in all the things that we have to do every day and, and just the, the monotony of it all. And instead, set each thing apart as an opportunity to know you more and to show you to the people around us. Help us, Lord, to, to number our days in such a way that they make a difference that we're storing up treasure in heaven every single day, that we're investing in the things that matter, and that we're a people who are totally devoted to that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this morning, as, as we wrap it up, it's real simple. Maybe today you've never, ever really come to that point where you've given your life to Christ. And you say, Do I, am I marked? I belong to Christ. You go, yeah, I just don't know that. This is where it starts. It starts by acknowledging our sin and brokenness. That's easy. It's easy to know that we're all messed up. We acknowledge it before God and say, my sin is against you and you alone, God. And I'm asking for you to forgive me, trusting that you'll do that, not because I'm good enough or because I will get good enough, but because you and you alone are good enough. And you died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin and you offer me life eternal. I'm trusting you. I'm following you. And, and that's it. It's simple. You, it, you don't have to have magic words. It's, that's the expression of my heart. My heart is, I want to know God. I trust God and I'm confessing my brokenness before God. Jesus, make me whole. I belong to you. I, he invites you to do that today. Um, if, if that's the cry of your heart, I want to challenge you to do something. You can let me know after we go out, but you can take that connect card in there and just say, I want to know more about following Jesus or I'm giving my life to Christ today. Whatever, just check the box, put it in the box, and, and I'll give you a call. We can sit down and talk or you can talk to me after the service. But don't leave here today without doing that. For those of us who know Jesus, second thing, made that step what's my purpose what's my purpose 
Am I going to focus on that? Am I going to focus on my purpose? And what is that purpose? Would you stand as, as Amy leads us?